All right, good morning. I'm going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 this morning, if you don't mind turning there with me. Um, loved class this morning. I was in Kerry Holton's class, and uh, two big takeaways I had uh, from this uh, the class. I was going back and forth between the two classes, but uh, uh, the first thing was this, that uh, the church, just, just across the board, we've got to learn to disagree in a godly manner when we disagree, um, and be able to have godly discussion even in disagreements. Uh, and I, uh, that one is super important to me, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in, in the lesson this morning. And, but the second is this, um, setting high standards. And that was sort of the discussion in class this morning. And I had so much to say, but I love being in classes because whenever I want to raise my hand, I'm like, wait a second, I get the pulpit in a second. So I'm just going to hold off. But, um, but I was thinking about high standards, and I thought, a lot of us have high standards, but... Uh, but we have different standards. And, and the big point is to say, I want to conform my high standards to God's high standards. Uh, what are his standards? What is the way he, how does he view things instead of the way Jeff views things? Most people who know me well make fun of me because I, I kind of have high standards about everything. Um, I can't go to a restaurant without, I do, I critique food everywhere I go. I critique, you know, it's just, and I'm kind of that way, but God is amazing how he looks at the heart, looks into the heart, and he says, this is where my standard is. Where is your heart? Who are you really before me? Let's talk about integrity. Let's talk about genuine love. Let's talk about what it is to be genuine in him, right? And so, um, I'm going to get into this message about 2 Corinthians, but I wanted to kind of um, begin by just talking a little bit about what's happening here. I want to talk about Paul. Is my mic pretty good over here? Am I okay? No, I don't think I am either. Uh, can I um, fix myself? There we go. All right. Um, you want, that, that's important to me because uh, when I was younger, I was at a place where they would never turn up my mic, and so I was always yelling. And they were like, why are you so angry when you preach? I said, because they won't turn up the volume, man. Turn it down and things get chill, you know. But um, that's why back in the day, preachers were always yelling. Just be, let's be real. Um, and, and so, I'm sorry, I get off topic too easy. I'm going to talk about Paul here. I want to talk a little bit about the history, what's going on in this church, uh, and why he's writing this letter. Um, the big theme is this. Paul has been accused of not being genuine. Um, you were, did great, man. You planted the church. You're great. Got us off to a good start. Uh, but we have better people here now. We have the super apostles. That's going to come up to when we get to chapters 10 and 11. Uh, we're going to talk about the super apostles and who they were. And man, we've got people that, listen, they've got credentials, Paul. And, and you're no longer, you're no longer, I mean, it's not just that you're not smooth. Uh, it's not just that you need to be polished. Paul, you need sandpaper, man. You, you, you need something to tone. Just professionalize yourself a little bit, Paul. This is what he's facing. This is what, where, what Paul is coming from. And, and the thing is, I think Paul had the humility that he doesn't care what people think of him, except this. It's impacting his message. It's impacting his gospel. It's impacting the genuine nature of what we've come to do. And so Paul writes this letter and he says, no, we're going to throw, we're going to throw down. We're going to talk. Paul wasn't scared of much at all. In his ministry, he was called West. And he kept going West, and the further West he went, the greater threats he faced. He says this over and over, and I'm just going to read a few of these verses. Ephesians 3, this grace was given me 
to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to preach them the unsearchable riches of Christ. In Galatians, he says this, I have been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. In Galatians 2.9, and over and over through the book of Acts, whether it's happening in Antioch, Rome, or here in Corinth, he says this, I went to the synagogue first, I proclaimed the message to you, you rejected me, and so now I am turning to the Gentiles. And he keeps saying this, I'm turning to the Gentiles, God's given me a special calling. But it became dangerous for him. He was up against threats, he was imprisoned, he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he went through all kinds of things for his gospel. I was talking to Gil um, Sanchez. Sanchez is his last name, right? Gil? I was talking to Gil Sanchez one time. How many years has he been working with the Casa de la Esperanza in, in Mexico? 20 plus years. And I asked him one time, I said, has it always been safe? And he laughed and he goes, no, it has not always been safe. He goes, no, it's safe for people to come down here. And I, and I said, man, what caused you to do this, man? This wasn't what you envisioned with your life. And he goes, let me just ask you this, Jeff. And he just asked me a very pointed question. He goes, if I were to die, what better way to die than ministering to orphans? He said, man, if someone's going to take my life, it's going to be because I lived life, you know? And I was like, what a beautiful thing to say. Um, And I was thinking about how God's protection when you put yourself in environments that were dangerous. Uh, Vanna and Marvin, it's good to have you back. You were in Israel uh, just, was it last week or a couple weeks ago? And while they were in Israel, the Golan Heights were bombed the day after they left. And I did. I got concerned. And someone asked me at the church. They said, uh, man, Van and Marvin over in Israel right now. And there's, there's a lot of problems. ISIS is over there. You sure everything's safe? And I said, uh, Vanna, um, I think ISIS has places they can hide. I, th- I think... <laughs> I think they're going to be okay. <laughs> but, but, you know, I was thinking about But anyway... I, uh, it is true, though, that God protects his people, whatever circumstances you're going to be in, wherever you're going. And Paul, Paul really had to depend on that when he was um, going west. But what I wanted to share with you, getting into 2 Corinthians 6, because I had one of those moments this week, and I always pray for these moments, to be honest with you. But you know when you're reading scripture and you're reading something you've read for so long and you know it, you think you know it, and all of a sudden a light goes on and you're like, oh, wait. I get it now. I see what you're doing. I see what you're coming from. Well, that happened when I was reading this chapter. And I was looking. And I'm just going to go ahead and open with this first verse. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you this. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And he's writing to, he's writing to the Corinthians. And he says, this is what... The Bible says, now here's what I want you to keep in mind. I'm going to be in Isaiah chapter 49 in just a minute. I really want you to look at this. He's quoting Isaiah 49. Now what you need to remember is Paul doesn't have a Bible like you have a Bible. Paul, they don't even have an Old Testament the way you have an Old Testament. If you had the Bible, do you remember how how he wrote to Timothy? When you come see me, bring the scrolls. And he'll say things like that. If you had the scroll of the book of Isaiah, for example, it would be a fairly kind of a large, cumbersome thing just to have Isaiah with you. And he would have these, as a Pharisee, right, back in the day, he would have had a collection of some of these scrolls. So he didn't have an iPhone where he walked around with his Bible. 
He might have had the scroll of Isaiah with him. He might have had some of these scrolls with him. And so he sits here with his Bible, which in this context is Isaiah. And he's reading it. And you can imagine, man, you're on the mission field. You're in a place where it's, 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 it's hostile. Things are rough. You don't know what you're going to face. And so what do you do? You pull out your Bible. God, speak to me. Give me some encouragement. And this is what Paul sits down and reads. And the truth is, if you were to read Isaiah chapters 40... Through 66, it's sort of the last half of that book. If you were to read Isaiah 40 through 66, there's one major sweeping theme. God is doing something new. And he keeps saying over and over again, I'm going to lay bare my right arm in front of all the nations. And he keeps saying it over and over and over again. I'm going to make my arm bare. I'm going to reach down into your world and I'm going to do something new. And then he keeps saying this. I am going to cause you to be a light to the Gentiles. I'm going to bear my arm and I'm going to make my salvation known to the ends of the earth. This is what he keeps saying. And now I'm going to read to you some select verses from chapters 42 on. And then I'm going to focus on chapter 49. This is what Isaiah writes. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release um, from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. That's Isaiah 42, 6. Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. It's a song we sing. I want you to imagine Paul sitting down, going through the struggles he's facing, and he sits down with these verses. This is his Bible. goes on in Isaiah 43. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, don't hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Paul is reading this and he's like, wow, this is, what's he talking about? What, 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 are, we, what are we talking about here? Isaiah 43, uh, 19. I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Don't you perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert, streams in the wasteland. And then finally in, in chapter 44, 5, he says, One will say, I belong to the Lord. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Still another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and will take the name Israel. All of Isaiah so far is writing about how God is going to extend salvation to the Gentiles. Open up a light to foreign nations. And now you get to Isaiah 49, and it says this, beginning in verse 6. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, to him who has despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servants of rulers. Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. 
I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. And then he says in verse 25, I will contend with those who contend with you. Paul is reading his Bible, man. He's reading Isaiah. He's, and it's like, okay, this is scripture. And all of a sudden he sees this. Wait a second. This is talking about right here, right now. This is talking about what I'm doing. This is talking about what I'm a part of. I am right now living in the fulfillment of a prophecy. And that means that when I read, I will contend with those who contend with you, that God is speaking to me. He's speaking about what I'm a part of. And then he opens up his heart, and that's what today's message is about, to the Corinthians. And he says, don't you understand what's going on right now? You are a part of history. You are a part of God's work. And it's unfolding right here, right now. In the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I'm telling you this. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now, this becomes more clear next week when we get into next week's message because I did break this chapter up into two parts. Because Isaiah is making this point. This is what God has called me to do. Therefore, come out. Be separate. Don't have any part of this. Don't be unequally yoked. Get out of this. That's what the next part of the chapter is going to do. And that's what Isaiah does as well. And so he says this. Verse 3. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Now, what I want you to take note of when you read through 2 Corinthians, if you just note how many times he uses this word commend, it's this idea that he has been discredited, right, by the super apostles, by the megachurches, by this stuff that is so, hey, you're working good. He's been discredited, and so he says this, all right, I am going to credit myself. These are my credentials. And he lays them out, not in pride, but he has to defend his gospel. And he says this, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, and purity, understanding, Patience and kindness in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love and truthful speech and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Man, it's powerful. Throughout Paul's letters, I love it when he goes off into this poetry and it's kind of what you can feel here. But he's just pouring out his heart and saying, look at what I've been through. Look at what I've done. When Paul came to Corinth, he preached in the synagogue. The people rejected him completely. He was kicked out of the synagogue. In fact, Paul started the church basically by a church split. When he talks about what happens there, he he preached to the synagogue. They kicked him out and he said, okay, I'm going to the Gentiles. And immediately a man named Titius Justus invites him into his home. And one of the first converts is Crispus. We talked about this in class this last Wednesday. Crispus is the synagogue ruler. He was one of the first converts. You weren't able to convert the congregation, but for some reason the preacher converted. And then another one replaced him. His name was Sosthenes. Guess who he writes the first letter of Corinthians with, and possibly 2 Corinthians as well? 
Paul and Sosthenes, our brother. It was the rulers of the synagogues that were converting over, and he began this church. Initially, what happens in Corinth is the big names in the city came to Christ. We're talking about, I think it was Erastus was his name. He was the director of public works. We have all the big wigs in the city, and this church actually has some strong shoulders to develop on. And so when they develop as a church, all of a sudden, you have all of these controversies. So he writes 1 Corinthians. Because what's happening is, now we've developed, we got, we grew too fast, and we have all these groups. This group says, well, I belong to Paul. Another group says, I belong to Apollos. Another group says, well, I belong to Christ. Another group says this. Are you familiar with that language today? Well, love what you're doing at our church, at your church. I belong to this church. Uh, what we do is, and then they both, you stick out your chest a little bit about what you're doing as a church and all this other stuff. This is what we do as a church. And, and Paul says this, is Christ divided? Is this okay? The language we grew up with, and I understand this because I know there'd be a lot of pushback. I know there'd be a lot of dialogue about reasons it has to be this way. I get it. But if Paul or Christ, or of course Christ can see this, but if these people could see what's happened today, where we have 500 plus denominations of Christianity in the United States alone, when we have that many and so many people, man, look at our church, look what we're doing here, I'm going to wave my flag. Man, I love what you're doing out there, it's a great beat, but I can't dance to it, I'm going to this one over here. That kind of mentality, be careful. It's ungodly. There is one church. The people of God in this world. We don't define who that is. God defines who that is. It's something that our commission is to walk humbly in this world. And to not wave our flag. And that is what Paul has run into with Corinth. Is they're all doing this. And what hurts more than anything else. Some of them are wearing his name. I belong to Paul. And Paul's like, I wasn't crucified for you. Don't say you belong to me. I'm a failure in so many ways. Don't follow me. Follow Christ. This is what I want you to do. Be his. And he's appealing to this church, man. We have got to change that that way of thinking. And the reason this is so important is because I think what we've run into, and this is what I experienced in myself and especially in youth ministry and then and working with the AIM program and other um, similar programs where college students go into different countries and you come back. Our missionaries come home jaded. And I mean 90% of them come home jaded. Most of y'all who are mission, missionaries or have been missionaries or no missionaries know that this is true. You come home jaded. And you come home and you're not sure about anything. And it happened to me and it's happened to most that I've known. Why? Because we went on a mission to a place. Y'all went to Japan just recently. I went to Ecuador when I was young. I went to different... You go on a place and you're living in mission. And you're excited. And I'm going to go there and no matter what's happening, you'll go to the deadest church imaginable. They don't even know when services are going to begin. If you're in Latin America... Yeah, y'all don't have a clue when those services are going to begin. You don't have a clue what's going to happen. You don't know who's going to get up to speak. This is crazy. This church is dead. You want to talk about singing and being on key together? Don't go to the church in Quito. Man, that was just a noise that you're listening to. These church services aren't dynamic. This isn't incredible. Ooh, but you go. 
And you feel the power of God and you see it and you're excited because every person you sit next to, I'm on mission and I'm going to try to transform lives. And you're excited about what the gospel is doing in people's lives because why? Because you're on mission and you're thinking that way. And then I came home when I was a young man, I came home to Leander, Texas, North Austin, to a country church. And I had no longer had a sense of mission at all. I sat down and I said, man, this place is dead. Well, all this other stuff, it's not because the church was different from the church in Ecuador. It's because Jeff was different than Jeff. It's because I changed. My sense of mission changed. Who I am changed. I forgot the value that God has placed in every individual on this planet. And that's the truth. You are not at Metal Ark Church of Christ as a building like it's... You are surrounded by people. Okay? Individuals. So somebody said to me yesterday at the park, and I'm going to talk about why I'm saying this. By the way, we had a... Man, Daniel was there yesterday. We had close to 140 people. We have a ministry to the homeless on Saturdays. Anybody wants to come join us, um, uh, we're at Buckingham Park in North Fort Collins. Um, and we serve food, we minister, we pray with people, we talk to people, we encourage people. But it's an incredible ministry. Well, we had about 140 people there yesterday. And it was just an incredible opportunity, all these things happening. But somebody came up to me, and they may be here this morning, I'm not sure. Uh, but we had a great conversation. But I said, they said, tell me about your church. Aren't you one of those churches? And they started saying all these things, that horrible things they've heard about churches of Christ, right? Or something like that. And they said, aren't you one of those churches? And I said, well, let me ask you this. How would you define the people that are here in this park? What label would you put on them? And she said, you wouldn't. We're individuals. I said, isn't that interesting? I said, that's my church. We're individuals. We are everything. We're just a body of people. And so when you come, I don't sit here and label a body of people in the park or in this building as any certain way. I see them as individuals, children of God. And it sets my heart on fire for what? For mission. To work, to get involved, to engage. And to stop being somebody who sits and eats popcorn and enjoys whatever's happening in front of me. No, I've been called off the bleacher seats, right? Under the stadium floor. To do battle for the entertainment of the crowd, if you, if you have to. But that's what the life in Christ is. Anyway, I'm getting off. I go forever on that stuff. But here's the beauty of the Christian life. It is wherever and it is whenever. It is wherever you are, the Spirit of God is with you. That's what we've been on the last couple of weeks. Wherever you are. And that means if I'm thrown in a prison cell, if that means I'm thrown in a mega church, that means if I'm thrown in a tent in Nairobi, like I said this morning, it doesn't matter where I'm at. The life and the mission of God is there. Now, the reason this is important is because up until now, Paul has been kind to the super apostles. And he's been defending his own ministry. But I'm going to tell you where Paul's going. He's actually going to turn the table. He's going to say they are masquerading. They are false apostles and they are fakes. He's going to be so bold as to turn the table and say that in the coming chapters. And here's how he's, he says why. Well, why? This is what commends me. I've gone through everything for the sake of the gospel. And I am who I am regardless of circumstances. I have been who I am regardless of circumstances. They can't stay the, say the same. 
They're a godly person if the pay is right. They're a godly person if they're in the right circumstance. They're a godly person if they're in the right church. Mm. Change their circumstances up some and let's see who they are. Change it and let's see who you really are in Christ. And that's what he's talking about. This is what it means to be genuine. He says this, through glory and dishonor, it doesn't matter. Bad report, good report. You say good things about me, you say bad things about me. Genuine, yet regarded as imposters. Known, yet regarded as unknown. Dying, yet we live on. Beaten, and yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, and yet possessing everything. And this is where I love it. This is where it gets so good. Um, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. And opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak to you as my children. Open wide your hearts also. I don't know if you've ever come to a place um, where you just got fed up, filled up, whatever it was, and you had to pour out your heart. Um, probably to a relative, to something else, and you just said, listen, I, I don't know what to do anymore, but I'm going to pour out my heart to you. This is who I am. This is what's going on. This is how I feel about you. But I'm going to pour myself out. In 2 Corinthians, over and over again, he says things like this. I just want to read a few of these verses because they're so beautiful. 1 Corinthians 4.15 Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 2, he said, I wrote, I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. 2 Corinthians 12. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? He wrote to the church in Thessalonica and said this, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because you had become so dear to us. Um, If somebody is a family member, somebody is deeply close to you, and they fly off the handle, because this happens time to time, you fly off the handle and you say things that are rude, you say things that are disrespectful, you do things that are disrespectful, you make each other angry. And when there's genuine love in a family, what do you see? Patience, forgiveness, and I'm not going to define you by your mistakes. If I see that you're going a direction that just isn't right, in love, I'm going to sit down with you and pour out my heart to you. That's how family treats each other. In a healthy family, because half of y'all are looking at me going, that's not the way our family. In a healthy family, that's how you treat each other. The thing is, in the church, so many times we don't see each other as family. And when somebody wrongs somebody else, Somebody goes down a path that you don't like. You just shrug your shoulders and say, that person's not real. 
That person, I forget that person, man. I'm going to be, that's our attitude. And that isn't the attitude of Christ in a family. Paul learned what it was to love deeply from the heart. He poured out his heart for people because he genuinely loved them as family. Learning to do that, in my experience, it's been extremely difficult for me to genuinely love people. I think this is one of the areas in my life that I've looked back on and said, my God, help me love the way you loved. Because I just don't. I don't see people the way Christ saw people. And that's why I don't have the forgiveness in my heart for when people have done things to me. Not like I would show my family. That's, I don't have it sometimes. And that's the most ungodly characteristic of my own personal life. Is I do not witness the love of Christ in me. I've grown in it. I'm just sharing you personally. I've grown in it. My wife has helped me. Godly people have helped me. But I do believe that the, the most important thing I need to work on and continue to work on in my life is what I also see in the church as a whole. That we need to learn what it is to love one another deeply from the heart. To open wide your heart to other people and to not be terrified about what that means. Why don't we open? I'm not going to spend too much time on this, so hang with me for a second here. What causes us to not open up our hearts to people? What is it? Fear that they're going to hurt you. You're scared to share your story with them. You're scared to do these things with them because fear that they're going to hurt you. And you remember what Scripture says. Perfect love, 1 John 4, 18. Perfect love casts out fear. I'm going to expose myself completely. I'm going to cause myself to fall in love even with somebody that I think could hurt me and break my heart. I'm going to open up my heart and do this. Paul does it. And he says, I have had my heart broken so many times. And I'm going to allow you to break my heart if I need to. But I am going to open up my heart completely to you. And then he closes by saying this. I'm speaking to you as my children. As a fair exchange, open up your heart to me also. Let's let each other in and let's be a family together. And let's talk about what it is to really be church today. I think this message is important for the church in America, the church in the world. Because I did. I grew up in a system of church that most of you grew up in. I grew up in Austin, Texas. There's a church on every corner. Most of the churches of Christ, when I was a kid, talked about how bad the other churches of Christ were. That church is, oh, I hate even saying this. Some of y'all who are older remember this. We'd say, well, that church is clappy happy. Ooh, that gave me shivers. Okay. Looking at this church and saying they're this, and we just gossip and slander and hurt one another. And churches are doing it still today. And we're boasting, this is the church I belong to. This is what I belong to. And as Christians in America, we need to wave one flag. I belong to Christ. And I will honor others as better than myself. I'll even honor other churches as better. I will honor others as better. And the world today needs to see unity in the people of God. And they also need to see the spirit that he's talking about. We genuinely love people. 
We genuinely love one another. We genuinely love family. And we genuinely love those who are hurting in this world. That is what defines God's church. Paul is not scared representing that gospel in 2 Corinthians. And as chapters keep going, he is going to get bolder and bolder about what we just talked about. This is not a joke to him. He says, this is the Lord we serve. This is the church that we're a part of. Don't let anybody give you any other gospel than this, right? My God, I just want to come before you. And I pray, God, that we would not allow maybe the way you, your son, your church was impressed upon us maybe when we were young. I pray that your word alone would impress upon us what it means to live in Christ and to be your people today. I pray, God, that we would open up our hearts so that we, out of, with no fear, will share what our relationship with you is, what our relationship with people is, and that we will learn to love, especially me, Father, I, I need this in my own heart, to love people genuinely and deeply from the heart. Uh, I pray, God, that um, you would make us a people that are unafraid um, to forgive one another, unafraid to engage one another, and to only let speech come out of our mouth that's healthy for building people up and increasing your kingdom. I love you guys so much for this book, how you've transformed and continue to transform me through it, and I pray that you do the same in the body here. Love you so, so much. It's in the name of Christ we come before you. Amen. Let's stand and worship our God.